Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go in to the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial serving the new york metropolitan area please be sure to download the veritas catholic radio network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content not just frontline with joe and joe um and you can also hear all of our content the radio's the station's content from past episodes um and if you would follow joe and i on social media we're primarily looking to build up our audience on the frontline tv the frontline tv on youtube we just passed sixty thousand subscribers we're obviously looking for more than that so if you could like subscribe share any of our videos that would be greatly appreciated and today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by frank cronin and we're here to discuss his book the world according to god the whole truth about life and living frank i gotta tell you that's that's a weighty topic the, the a title the world according to god but we're going to get into that in a second for those of you uh, who are not familiar with frank uh he has studied on a graduate level in education at harvard university and at the university of connecticut in leadership at columbia university and in theology at Regent University and Holy Apostles College and Seminary. He also writes regularly for the National Catholic Register and appears appear has appeared on EWTN's The Journey Home with Marcus Grodi following his 2007 reversion to the Catholic faith from atheism and evangelical Protestantism. Frank Cronin, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Great to be here with you fellas. Awesome. Frank, we always begin with a prayer because all good things start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. St. Dominic. Pray for us. Pray for us. We were talking to Frank before the interview. Like I said, anyone who has an X as a middle name, I always immediately like, and he's from the Bronx. So I, I expect to have a, a wonderful conversation. That does make for a lively conversation. I always. A couple, couple of Italian Catholics from Jersey and an Irish Catholic from the Bronx. You can't always. get any more, you can't get any more <laughs> volatile than that. <laughs> I, uh, as Joe read in your bio, Frank, uh, you reverted back to your faith in 2007. Um, what made you give the faith a second look? I mean, listen, I mean, you went to some pretty heavy universities. I've always heard stories of people who go to Harvard or Columbia. Um, they lose their faith. I have some friends. Um, sadly, they went to Vassar College and they completely lost every semblance of what we learned in our Catholic high school. Could you talk about what brought you away from it and then what brought you back well what brought me away from my catholic faith i mean i was an atheist for probably a decade and a half uh you know i came from a catholic family and went to catholic schools but we were a pretty nominal catholic family you know we go to mass maybe six times a year and that kind of a thing so by the time i was 19 i was just a kind of a, a lax catholic i really wasn't going to church at all and uh and then I started doing a lot of reading. Uh, I made a New Year's resolution, probably one of the only ones I ever kept, uh, to read a book a week. And I was reading the uh, A-list kind of uh, fictional, non-fictional stuff from the 1800s to the 1950s. So it's a lot of existential literature. And I figured out that there was not so much that there wasn't a God, but there was nothing transcendent. And God went out with the walk with the bath butter on that. Uh, and then about 10 days before I was to marry my wife, she became a born again Christian. And I almost didn't marry her for that reason. I was like, hey, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, and I even told her that on her wedding day, like, if this becomes an issue, I'm out of here in six months. 
but she's such a solid human being that I, you know, I spent the next three years at least examining the question about whether there is or isn't a God, and I concluded, well, there is a God, and then I spent another two years figuring out who this guy, Jesus Christ, was, you know, was he really God, and then I had the born-again experience, and Annie and I uh, got kind of curious about, we had heard our Protestant pastors kind of telling us that, you know, God can guide your life if you let him, so we figured, well, what would that even look like, and uh, the next thing you know, I was going to get uh, my second master's degree, I already had one for my professional life, uh, at Regent University in Virginia Beach, and I really, despite all those education credentials I have, I really don't like school. I mean, that was that was God's idea and his plan. That was really not something I wanted to do. I mean, he knew how to use, I guess, the attitude and talent I had for academic stuff, but uh, that, was, that wasn't anything I was really excited about um, without him kind of getting my mind into this and saying, look, this is where I want you. So anyhow, uh, I cruised along and I was a, a evangelical Protestant doing ministries in my area, consulting at Christian schools and teaching out of my home and in different churches and local and regional festivals. And uh, my secretary at work, uh, who was a Catholic, used to tell me all the time, Frank, you're more Catholic than Catholic. You should be Catholic. And I was like, yeah, thanks, Terry. Appreciate that. But um, so one summer, uh, she gave me a book and asked me to read it. And she had been talking to me about this stuff uh, before, not about high-level theology, just a sense of God and spirituality. And she gave me Rome Sweet Home, which is uh, Scott Hahn's book, him and his wife, their testimony about how they became uh, Catholics. And about halfway through the book, I had a, a paragraph about four sentences long, and in four sentences, Scott Hahn kind of estimates the, the Protestant epistemology, the theory of knowledge that, that the Protestant holds, which is sola scriptura, only scripture. And in, in four sentences, basically, the conclusion that's there is that if it's only scripture, then scripture better say only or it doesn't work. And that was a, a fatal and fundamental logical contradiction. And me being a fairly rational person, that was that didn't mess with my faith so much, but it, it made me realize I need to look again at, at all that stuff. And I spent the next four or five months, uh, you know, doing the, the scriptural homework and working out some of that stuff. And I was ready to be Catholic, but my family wasn't. And so what we used to do, uh, I decided... I would rather than push the issue, uh, I, we would go to our Protestant church, and after we came home from Sunday services, uh, we'd have dinner, and then we read Scott Hahn's book, Rome Sweet Home, out loud, discussing it sentence by sentence uh, with my three daughters and my wife and I. And what was great about it is, is I had three daughters and a wife, so uh, that kind of contrast and similarity between Scott, who was looking at as a man and what he was concerned about, and and uh, Kimberly, when she looked at it, it was a great fit for the family. So in the end, I let the girls know uh, about 10 months later that, um, look, mom and I are going to be Catholics. My daughter Molly, who was the youngest, was under 18. So Molly, you're going to be Catholic because you're under 18. You don't get to make, get to make calls. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my two older daughters were in uh, at the University of Connecticut uh, as undergrads. And I said, I would like you to go to an RCIA program. I was lucky to find a Catholic priest who right after 11 o'clock mass on Sunday that we would go to would do an, uh, an RCIA program with my family. So the five of us and him, and he was willing to do that. And, uh, you know, we, we did that for the year. And at the end, we everybody was in. That's a, that, that's such a phenomenal story, Frank. It, it's it's so great, Scott Hahn. I, I think people people don't, might not realize they hear his name all the time. Obviously, a very popular figure. Scott Hahn has brought, ha, ha, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Scott Hahn has brought 
thousands and thousands of people home to the Catholic Church. God bless that man. One thing you said, though, Frank, I will say, for, and this is because one thing, Joe, Joe and I don't want to beat up on anybody, Frank, at the front line with Joe and Joe. That's not what we're about. But we do want to, like, we're going to talk about truth in a second. We do want to tell the truth to people. What you said is interesting, and our audience needs to know that, especially any non-Catholics out there um, who are Christian, is that not only, Frank, as you said, if if the, if the if, if Scripture is the only rule of faith, then it better say so in Scripture. That's one part of it. The other, the other part of it is that scripture actually says that scripture is not the only rule of faith talking right. about the handing down tradition and everything else. People, the reason why I say that Frank is not to say, aha, you Protestants, we got you. It's to say, open your mind. Marcus Grody, Scott Hahn, yourself, many Steve Ray, he wrote crossing the Tiber. Mm -hmm. so if you, if the mind is like a parachute, doesn't, doesn't work if it's not, if you don't open it. Okay. And if you're a Christian seeking the truth, I would say, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you, Frank is listen, Open, open your mind to the truth of the Catholic faith. Um, having said that, uh, actually, Joe, you wanted to ask Frank about truth. I think it's important. Remember, Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. No, even before we get into the maxims of truth, I mean, you were an atheist, you said, for quite a long time. Obviously, you mm -hmm. probably had lots of friends. Uh, what did they say to you? Because, I mean, I could speak to myself. I mean, I was kind of like a party guy. Um, you know, I'm, I don't even resemble anything of the way that I was when I was, you know, a young man, uh, my friends thought I was completely crazy. They still think I'm crazy. I mean, what did they say to you? And what were some of the arguments that they basically put forth to you with regard to saying that the Catholic church isn't true and even that there is no such thing as truth? Well, I mean, there, I mean, that kind of is part and parcel of the whole modern experience. I think when I was younger, uh, you know, I don't know that I was living a dissolute lifestyle by any stretch. I mean, that just wasn't me. I was, I was a pretty rational person. Uh, you know, I tried to be, because I was an existentialist. Didn't mean I gave up all moral compasses. And so, you know, a fair amount of my behavior was there. I, I don't know that I was living a, uh, you know, I guess I would say I was living a, a typical. Uh, citizen good life uh, for most of those years as uh, you know as an atheist and what I did for a living I used to work with uh, troubled kids and gang kids and street kids in residential and psychiatric setting so I was I was doing a lot of good there even though uh, my I guess my cosmology or my deep level philosophical assumptions wouldn't have really substantiated that on the other hand working with those kids, um, I think looking back on it were, was kind of like getting me ready to be a Christian. Because one of the things I, I learned fairly early on is that, you know, you can explain what you want those kids to do, but unless you can make a case for it, they're not doing it. That's why those kids are where they are. They, they have a, a pretty low regard for authority and telling them to do something if they can't see the immediate benefit to them or, or whatever. You can't really appeal to an authority. You have to appeal to the rational sides of things and, and take that kind of psychological rationality approach with them. And so uh, I was learning about that kind of stuff. And then when it came when it came around where I was still working with those kind of kids and my wife had this born again experience, uh, for me, that was like, what the heck is this? So Again, like I said before, it took me three years to work that out. Meanwhile, I'm having kids and going to my getting my first graduate degree. I'm still working with the kids I was working with. So it was a slower process for me. Um, I don't think most people, uh, like the Christians I used to run into and would try to talk to me, they would immediately talk to the, to the scripture. And for me, that was like nonsense. Uh, if you're gonna mention scripture on the front end, and that's going to be how you're going to make your case. You have to make a case for what scripture is. And if you can't make a case for that, then, I, you know, I can just blow that off. Because for me to accept scripture as an atheist was there's an assumption you're making, or they were making rather, um, that this is the word of God. And so this is, you can take this to the bank and you have to make, you have to let me know how God is and, how the word of God is actually the word of God before I'm going to listen to it. I mean, it used to be, it used to, I mean, I'm a 
a New York Bronx kid. So it, this used to be like fun and games talking with the Christians. It was, mm -hmm. you know, um, messing around with them, making them eat their words, uh, placing them on their own petard. And, and not always a mean way, but sometimes, but more in a playful, like you guys just don't get it. Right. Um, right. So, You're listening. So, yeah. So You're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello in the breach with Frank Cronin. We're discussing his book, The World According to God, The Whole Truth About Life and Living. Yeah, that that playful, I don't call it that playful, uh, Frank, because usually that 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 kind of stuff you get from like the Richard Dawkins of the world and you know that kind of mocking tone and uh and everything else, which which I gotta admit, even as a Catholic man, really bring some thoughts into my head that I, that I want to do to them that are not Catholic. But we never would, we never would because we, um, we love everybody. Um, I w wanted to ask you in your book, the world, according to God, uh, you note some proofs uh, for the existence of truth itself. I always, I always said, you know, with those who say, well, there's no such thing as truth. I mean, even on a, on a five-year-old level, the only response to that is, is that true? You know, like, right. you, you, you know, when you talk about the, the, the lack of the logical coherence of a lot of the atheist arguments where, where, where statements are kind of like they implode on themselves, similar to I wasn't joking, mm -hmm. similar to that. When somebody says, well, there's no such thing as as, um, you know, you know the, the, there is no absolute truth. Are you saying that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, like that type of thing. Talk about that a little bit, Frank. Can you tell our audience some of the some of the, the 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 general response to some of the maxims you've received by those who embrace, let's say, relativism or or atheism. Well, I mean, uh, you know, there there was an old professor, not somebody I had, but it's kind of like a tale, and it's it, and the, the logic that he offered was this: it's like if you're in a debate, first you beat him with their stick, then you beat him with yours, and and so like so for me. It's more like you just let him run with the line. Okay, so there's this, that, and the other stuff. And then you look back, just like the, you just summarized there, where, okay, the, the there's no absolute truth. So is that an absolute truth then that you're saying? And haven't you just contradicted yourself? And sometimes in the in the mix of those kind of different, you know, repartee kind of things or discussion kind of things, um, it really gets down to, like, Okay, it's a contradiction, but that's a law of reason, and and where we run, and this is kind of goes to some of the other things that are in the book. Is we believe that the only way we can know anything is with science, but but science isn't in a separate way of knowing; it's a composite way of knowing. You can't do science without reason, so science is a derivation from reason, not as opposed to reason, and that changes everything because. We, we know we can do science because we can apply reason to the physical realities of the world. Well, what other ways can we do reason? Well, we can do it mathematically. Mathematics doesn't work without reason, which means that we can also do arguments which are based on reason. And now we have ways of proving. So part of the reason people don't think that we can know that God exists isn't so much that the evidence is, is there, isn't there, it totally is there. But what we've done is we've changed the definition of how we know that prevents us from knowing. We, we think it's science only, and that's just nonsense. You can't do science without reason. When people do do the science, they they have to get that verified. It goes through replication studies and professional publications to verify this stuff. Well, what are those people doing? They're applying reason to your methods, to your conclusions, how far your conclusions are going. Are you leaving? Are you drawing a bigger conclusion than your data says you said you should be able to draw? So that kind of stuff happens all of the time. So our great modern problem, well, according to Frank here in the book, uh, the great modern problem is a, is a problem of knowing, uh, but philosophers would call epistemology. Once we can establish that, now we can debate a lot of different things. What What is goodness? What is truth? And we can get to a fair amount of that. I you think mentioned what we like, should do, I'm sorry. Joe, real quick, I, I, I'm going to hand it right over to you. I think what we should do is we should take St. John's model. In other words, when you look at, let's say, the fact that he wrote his gospel in Greek, knowing that he had to appeal to a Greek philosophical mind in order to talk about this person, Jesus, 
and what he did was obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit and just a brilliant move because they don't want to hear about genealogies going back to David and Adam and right. Noah. But what was the word that they that they did respond to? Logos. Logos. Correct. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to no, you. But I, I mean, you're talking about science. It, it sounds to me, I mean, based on what you were just saying, Frank, it's just a rationalization. We hear it's constantly science, science, science. You could use the abortion argument. Is it science? Abo science says clearly it's a child. It doesn't, it's, it's not even debatable. It just seems to me that it's just a rationalization. People are not willing to bend their knee. I've seen this time and time again. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter who you are. You could present a flawless argument, flawless, logical. It flows. It's linear. It's scientific. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I mean, I've told the story many times. I, I knew uh, a gentleman in India who was a philosophy teacher who actually worked with the missionaries of charity. And I went to a lecture with an engineer from Spain. And after the lecture, he, he argued for the existence of God without using the word, purely from a philosophical perspective. Mm -hmm. um, after the lecture, I was speaking with this guy, who's my friend Emilio, and I was like, that was incredible. And he was like, I don't agree with the math. I'm like, how can you not agree with this math? It's perfect. He said it perfectly. It's about the will. Talk about that because people rationalize anything. Well, but uh, I mean, that's that's an, there's that psychological component. I think you're right to call it the will. I mean, the, the Catholic perspective on this is the mind informs the will, which governs the emotions and behavior, right? And what happens is, is we choose, we put the will in front of the mind, and so that leaves us kind of impervious, or at least, uh, I don't know, blocking the truth, like the example that you said. This guy just made a perfect case. How do you deny this stuff? Well, I just don't. Well, that's an act of your will. And in some measure, if you look at if you look at how that works, that's kind of the Protestant thing. They put the will in front of the mind, and that's that's why they get a lot wrong, right? I mean, it's all about belief, not about truth, and and so they get it messed up. Uh, there was a fellow back in I think the 1300s, William of Ockham. He did that too, and he was a Catholic priest in a, in a monastery, but he inverted those two, and it's, it's led to a lot of problems. And that's where Martin Luther was educated at an Occamite or an Occamist seminary. So people can believe what they believe, but if they're really intelligent, and this is sometimes where the gentleman you were talking about, you know, you hit him pretty quick after the presentation. But sometimes those those things fester a little while. And, you, you know, there's a long game here because that level of discomfort may be too much for him to handle, and so he just blows that off. Um, all we can I, I, do is to deliver the truth. I think, Frank, that that's, that's one of the things that we um... – we need to do whether it's Joe or I in, 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 in our podcast or on, on uh, the Veritas Catholic network, uh, people like you that are out there. I used to think in my mind, Frank, when I came back to the church and started actually taking the faith seriously again, I'm going to convert the world. I was quickly humbled when, 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 when <laughs> but, but I say that to say at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic radio network, what I can do and what you were just describing is, but we could plant those seeds. We could plant those seeds. To, you know, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. But we could plant the seed. And I think, like you said, Frank, the truth is, in a, is uh, Joe Resinello always says on the show, truth's like a lion. Set it free, it'll defend itself. And the truth gets into people's heads, and they can't let that go. They can't let it go. And then you pray that as an act of their will, they begin to actively seek the truth. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I mean, absolutely. I think one of the things is, is it, it takes a while to shed the programming that they've been brought up in. I mean, our, our entire Western culture for the last 250, 300 years has been awash in this stuff. They've been programmed, they've been through college, they've been through elementary school. I mean, it's, it's implicit in our culture, so it's, that's going to take a while to unravel. Um, that's where some Sometimes you just play the long game, like you're saying, you know, some scatter, others reap, but God gives the increase. I mean, that's we, we know that. So, like, you play the long game, you say what you say, and you may not convert, you may even provoke somebody to get all jacked about that. Well, that, that's to your advantage. Uh, you know, like, if it's really that, that 
challenging or that they find it that inflammatory, there's a good chance that person is not driving down the road someday on the interstate, pondering that, going, son of a gun, you know, because the more they do the math on it to work the argument in their head, the more they have to see the logic. You know, either that or or they they conclude, I guess, the inevitabilities of that viewpoint. If you're a science-only guy, then everything's biochemistry. Your consciousness is biochemistry. Your neural firing is the only reality to you, which means love doesn't exist. Morality doesn't exist. Not that you don't exist. As a famous evolutionary biologist said in the late 30s, early 1940s, if all we are is biochemistry, we have no way of knowing that all we are is biochemistry. Doesn't that make sense? Came over, right? It, it is. You know, so that's that's the amazing thing. Is it? See, but that's why, like, like. You know, at the front line with Joe and Joe, Frank Cronin, who's joining us on the Veritas Catholic Network. That's why Joe and I are doing the show. Joe hammers that home all the time because it's part of what we do is to say to people, you have to seek the truth. You have to shed those blinders. Again, like you said, Frank, um, it, it's not easy. Okay, I spent 20, my, 20 years of my life. I might as well call myself a pagan, not a Catholic. Okay, never quite left the Catholic Church, but I certainly, you know, but you more appropriately describe me as a pagan. But you got to be willing, like Joe says, to bend the knee. Joe, we have probably about three minutes or so, four minutes before the break, if you want to pick up yeah, on another I mean, topic. You... And by the way, the book is The World According to God, The Whole Truth About Life and Living. Uh, quickly, Frank, and we'll say it again later, where can folks buy the book? Well, they can buy the book. It's published by Sophia Institute Press, which is a Catholic uh publication company in New Hampshire. It's also available on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, almost anywhere online. Okay. And we would encourage our audience members to not buy it on Amazon, buy it on Sophia Institute Correct. Press. We love Sophia Institute Press. Joe Restinello. It's a weighty thought and we may have to carry it on the other side of the break, but I mean, you mentioned you work with the youth um, and clearly you also mentioned that like the culture is communicating like this progressive path forward. I mean, it's coming at us from everywhere, whether you watch a jet game, whether you watch a movie, I mean, it's on every single network when it comes to the news. I mean, how do you convince anyone, the youth especially, but anyone that there is a right way to live. And I'm going to tell you my idea, and then I'm interested in yours. It's through example. It has to be example. Because like you said, like you could say things perfectly, they just blow it off. People blow it off. It's example, consistent example. What are your thoughts? Well, I think uh, the, the greater we are able to both model and understand the truth, I mean, that's, that makes us uh, a witness that's hard to ignore. I mean, it's, that's just part and parcel of it. We do need to live our faith. On the other hand, when people read our behaviors, watch as we live our life, they that still leaves the processing of that information up to them. Uh, and that's, that's part of the problem. There's an old saying, I think, was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It's like, uh, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Um, that's a fair... Uh, exhortation, but in the modern, he was talking in a world that was by and large, well, it was called Christendom. We're not living in that world anymore. We're living in in a pagan world, a pagan culture, and a pagan worldview. So nowadays, I think it is necessary to use words. And again, you play the long game. With that. I mean, one of the one of the hard parts is teaching people. What the, how to find truth, and then what the truth is. And truth is an acquired taste. It's not something that comes to you easily because the truth has a way of making us uncomfortable. And and so we have to uh, an acquire a taste for truth as well as understand how it can be found. And most people think nowadays, and this is where the relativism or the epistemological problems come in, is because people have, don't believe there's any truth except for science. Everybody has their own set of truth, right? We've taken truth to mean my perception, whereas when you and I and, and Joe talk about it, we're talking about truth as fact. This is the way reality is. Well, that's a huge leap for most people, regardless of their particular preferences politically, socioculturally. Making that jump is really a hard one, but that one is based on reason. That's Frank. how you 
teaching. Frank, we're going to pick that up. That that's 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 the crux of this. All right, talking about truth. So we want to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rusinello. Fabulous, fascinating conversation with Frank Cronin about his book, The World According to God: The Whole Truth About Life and Living. So we're we're on the topic of truth, and we're going to stay on that topic. Um, so don't go anywhere. Stick around. We'll be right back. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are in the breach with Frank Cronin discussing his book, The World According to God, The Whole Truth About Life and Living. So, Frank, you were, you, I want you to pick up on, the, uh, on what we were talking about before we went to the break about, you know, we were talking about young people, the truth. Because to me, to me, it's, it's this way. You mentioned that you have to be willing to see the truth. I think the most important part of that, and I love your comments, um, and I think Joe might have alluded to it earlier, is the first thing you have to recognize the truth about is yourself. Yeah, I, I think that's the reason why Catholicism in particular is very difficult for people because it, it, because Christ, who is the truth, challenges you to have to look in the mirror and examine your life. And that's part of what your book is about. Talk about that a little bit, Frank Cronin. I think that's a that's a reality that we all oscillate with, right? Like in order to reflect on who we are as human beings and to give a fair assessment of our moral rectitude, we have to look in in the mirror, and that is important. On the other hand, the lens or the standards by which we look in the mirror is is the function of truth, and so we have to have that either simultaneously or pretty in pretty close order that the sharper our understanding of truth is the more accurate our description of ourself is and, and, and when we stand in front of that mirror so they're they're kind of like two things that have to be present there one is the truth so we can make a fair assessment of who we are and the other is the willingness to do it um and so that's part and parcel of what it is and that's where you know the idea of truth is an acquired taste standing in front of the mirror sometimes is uncomfortable and the sharper your understanding of truth is and more clear and comprehensive the more difficult that is but no real growth, no betterment for anything ever comes easily. I mean, it, you know, there are places we all can can move along personally as as individual personalities, our behavior, our attitudes, our thinking. But there's always going to be places that are more challenging. You know, like uh, one of the one of the things for me happened when I discovered Jesus. I you know I used to work in profanities, like some people work in oils, uh, and and I that just fell off the table i mean it isn't like i don't use profanities on a rare occasion but and i that wasn't an exercise of my will that just happened because i had now knew jesus on the other hand uh, there's parts i regularly have to deal with uh yeah. i'm one of those drivers who is like real i drive 
like a New Yorker, but I live in Tennessee. So I can't go a half a mile without running into some knucklehead that doesn't use his blinker, that you know, has 15 car lengths in front of him and is gliding to stoplights. And I lose my lunch over this. It's like, really? Um, so, and I know that's out of line and I know that's impatient and, and, and misplaced anger and so on, but that's the Frank that I'm dealing with on a regular basis. But had I, you know, had I not had those standards, I wouldn't get as clean a, a, and clear and comprehensive a look of just how messed up that is without the truth. Right? I know that, you know. So anyhow. Yeah. No. 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 I, I get it. I'm gonna hand it over to Joe. I got to just tell you some some of your what you were just saying, Frank, just rings so true to me. My my own personal journey, talking about the things that God takes away immediately, but then some mm -hmm. things that need to be worked on. One thing you said though reminded me of my own personal view. All right, this is not the view of the Catholic Church. Okay, but when I think about purgatory, sometimes, and I've heard purgatory described as a place that, that the pains of which are, are on par with hell. The difference is, you know, you're saved now, whether or not that's true, but mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? But I always thought purgatory, the reason why it's so painful is that in the process, the main, the, the central pain of purgatory is that God holds up a mirror to your life and mm -hmm. the crappy things you did in your life. In other words, let's say for that you were forgiven for, okay, but you have to atone, you know, pay the, the, the temporal price for it. Um, I always thought that's the main pain of purgatory is God's going to show you all, all that nonsense that you did, all the pain you caused, okay, mm -hmm. in your life. And that's the stuff that, that you have to, you know, overcome. Let's hope we do it here. Joe Restinello, I'm going to hand it over to you. You talked about the long game, Frank, and I, I uh, absolutely agree with you because it is a long game. Christ believes in the long game, like the story about the fig tree. Give it another year. So to see if it bears fruit. We have to do that with people. Um, but when I used to teach RCIA, I used to say this, the laws of God, i.e. the natural law, call it what you want, the Ten Commandments, apply to you whether you agree with them or not. What is that? That's absolute truth. You may be a person who believes in relativism, but the laws of God apply to you whether you believe them or not. And when we don't, as people, there's a pain point. Our life becomes disordered. There's disorder in our hearts. There's a lack of peace. And that's how God, the hound of heaven, guides us back. I mean, let's be honest. You know, not everyone's reading like Thomas Aquinas. You know what I'm saying? Like the average guy in the pew. But what he does understand is when he goes outside of the laws of God via his life and choices, God gently says, no, 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 Bob. No, no. You got to get back in. Talk about that long game in terms of how God maneuvers us into the corral of truth through those pain points. And frankly, that's I think how most people come to it. Well, I mean, I talked RCIA for a couple of years as well. And, and one of the things, again, this is where truth is the resounding thing that's so difficult for modern people to understand that whether it's a key to understanding things philosophically, cosmologically, or understanding things in a, in a very mundane moral way, like you're talking about these, the reason the reason God's truths are God's truth is because they're truth. Anything short of that isn't. And so that's part of the problem that takes some time. Acquiring a taste for truth, for one, when I used to teach RCIA, people didn't really understand what truth was. So I spent a lot of time working through that with them. In fact, the book that that's published, The World According to God, came from me teaching uh, RCIA, and unfortunately, when the priest asked me to do this, um, he said, you won't have books for six months because they're back ordered or whatever. So I just started teaching worldview, a lot of the stuff that, that constitutes probably the early 12 chapters in the book with the folks because they didn't understand that. And they, what was interesting for me, at least, is they found that very engaging and and often they ask the very question you're asking, well, if this is true, then what does this mean in terms of what I do and how I live and stuff? And so they kept, they kept just like your question, of keeping the, the 
philosophy and the practicalities of living in, in our own skin in our daily lives in pretty tight harmony with one another because they that's meant to be like a constant communication between our head and our heart on those kind of things that God wants us to understand the deeper reality of the truth, not just of his existence in nature, but his expectations for us as his children. And the, the sharper and deeper we understand that and reflect on that more accurately about ourselves and our behavior, even our tone of voice and small things we do, that, that raised sensitivity to that is where we kind of begin to engage the sanctity process. We, we come to know about God, and we are also having the experience of him in the knowing, and, and the sharper and deeper and more sophisticated our understandings of that, the better human beings we can and should be, and because now we know it to be true, there's no escaping it. You know, you can Frank, deny it, you can ignore it, but it is what it is. Let me ask you this, Frank, is that what you're describing there about that recognition of the truth? Is that, in your view, the, the gateway to to living a loving and peaceful life or the, the gateway to love and, and peace is the first to recognition of the truth. Like Joe always says on the show, you, you, you know, you could always see the bad fruit, bad ideas of false ideas, but adherent recognition and adherence to the truth in your view, does that lead necessarily to a more loving and peaceful life in this world and then heaven in the next? Well, I think, and this is where, because you know, people come at things differently. You know, like some people are more apt to to come at things more emotionally or behaviorally, right? Just like Joe's saying, and and then other people come with a you know a head first, heart second, however that goes. But I think that's that's part and parcel of what goes on. We we understand deeper who he is and what he is, and, and an experience of him because that's kind of another part of the deal maker. There is that know him and to know what he expects right but to advance our intellect and to strengthen our will to become better and better all through that process we should be at least sensitive to if not regularly experiencing his actual presence because to know just like when we get to know people we get to know some of their facts you know where they grew up you know you guys are from jersey i was from the bronx whatever and we get talking about that we're knowing some facts but we're also knowing each other mm. like that's that's how we get to know everyone well the same for god when we know the facts about him we are now or should remember that we are open to experiencing of him, right? Like when we understand the truth, we're not only understanding these as truth, as these conceptual realities, but they're actual manifestations of the character and nature of God. We're having an experience, both head and heart at the same time. Our head is understanding these truths, and our heart is being touched by God and in a profound way, because any truth that's out there is his. Mm. You know, well, yes. I, I'll tell you, I mean, Benedict XVI um, has written, obviously, a lot about absolute truth and the battle against the dictatorship of relativism. Um, I've read a number of his books, um, and to be honest with you, I think that is the question that we have to tackle as a civilization right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing, again, I, I didn't go to Harvard. I always say, Frank, I went to Harvard on the Hudson. I have a PhD in common sense from Jersey. <laughs> and, 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 and like what I, how I approach my life, even like I first encountered the Lord. I know he's there. I know who he is and he loves me and I love him. And I feel the peace in my heart as a result of that relationship. But when I struggle with the road, and that road is narrow, as we all know, mm -hmm. the road of truth to God, Christ says that, I didn't. Mm -hmm. When I struggle with those things in say my marriage, um, you question say, you know, how am I gonna afford, I have five kids, how am I gonna afford say if we have a sixth kid, how am I gonna get send them to college? How am I going to be open to life, you know, like, like to the, the degree that the church asks of me that an atheist or a secularist would say, you're crazy, you're crazy. But what mm -hmm. I have come to learn is this, we're made for God. And when we don't walk in his way, life becomes almost a hell on earth. It mm -hmm. falls apart. It crumbles. It's the pathway. It's the road. It's the map to a good life here. 
Mm-hmm. Talk about that, because Benedict, not, without reading what he wrote um, specifically about how when we don't believe in God, life unravels, and you see it. You just look outside your window. Talk about that reality, because I think that reality, frankly, as people view, say, you and your family, could bring people back in. Well, in a, in a simple way, just to use what the words you said, you kept talking about the truth. Away. This is well. That's the that's our modern problem. We we really live in a the world, not a a world. It's not a truth. A way. It's the way. It is that narrow, and it's and it is that clear. On the other hand, we we tend to think when we hear the word narrow nowadays that narrow means limited, whatever, and it's it's really not. It's joyful. It's it's the fullness of life and the, the unraveling that benedict and you were both talking about there is what happens i mean you don't even have to be a religious person or even a, a, a remotely religious person just look at the existential literature in the 20th century and it tells mm. you that it just says that left and right life is no there's no meaning to anything there's there's no purpose so it unravels on the big picture and because the big picture unravels it unravels in the small aspects too um so there's no coherent way to live life and and that sense of kind of you know, well, I can get to that later. Life is good now. Like the, the comparison you were making, people saying, you know, you're crazy to have more kids, and how do you afford that? And all the nickels and dimes that that, that they they think they're raising that are important. It you're leaving out a crucial thing. It's not just a belief in God. You're you've isolated yourself from Him, and and so that's a problem. Uh, that's why things unravel, because even though if people can be existentialist in a very deliberate, atheistic way, in the end, that's not a good thing, and they know it, and they 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 write about it. But this is this isn't a new thing, and it's a catastrophic thing because in the end, all of life is absurd to them. Well. Think about coming to the end of your life and discovering that it's all absurd and when you're dead, you're dead and that's it. And it has nothing you've done has served any purpose whatsoever. It's all absurd. That is hell. And it tell Benedict describes it, but they even describe it in great measure, I think, better because they get it. That like this is what we believe, that there's no point to anything. This was me back in my early 20s when I became an existential atheist and I concluded not so much because I was looking at the question of God, but I concluded that there's nothing transcendent about life. If you don't find meaning in life, if there's no real overriding meaning in life, then the only thing you have left is to find meaning in the moment. And we all know that's fairly transitory and often very self-centered and uh, and kind of amoral. This is what I want to do. This is my meaning for today, or this is my meaning now. Well, Frank, how many, how many, how many people have you come across in your life who said, you know, I listen, man. I'm not saying I don't believe in it, but but the thing is, but I'm not going to live that way. I had a, I had a girl that I used to work with tell me one time, oh, you're Catholic. Yeah, I decided I wanted to have sex when I was a teenager, so I knew I wasn't right. going to stay in the yep. Catholic Church. It's that type of thing. It's again, it goes back to the same yep. thing. Jesus challenges. Jesus is yes, he's loving. Yes, he's caring. Yes, he's compassionate, and yes, he died on the cross for, for us. Okay, and for our salvation. But along the way, he challenged us quite a bit. One of the stories in Scripture, Frank, that stayed with me in my in my journey, like I said back was when he said to the lame man, would you be made well? I was told, why would he ask him that? The guy's sitting by a pool. He can't use his legs. Why would he ask him? Because some people don't want to be made well. You cannot assume that they want to be made well until living against the truth or in contradiction to the truth. As Joe Rosanello always says on the show, God will bring you to the end of yourself, and then he'll pick you up. I wish people would listen and not allow themselves to get to that very dark and lonely place. But hey, if it brings them back, I mean, that'd be great. But buying into the, as Joe said about, about the relativism and the hellishness that it produces, I mean, you, you see the bad fruit of moral relativism just turn on your television set. Right? Everywhere. Everywhere. We'll comment on that a little bit, Frank. 
Well, I mean, you can see this in just small interactions with people, or you see it in, in a larger or more cultural scale on TV. I mean, no one believes in truth. People, everything is all perception. All the, the recent stuff in the last couple of years, the, the critical race theory stuff, the racial stuff, it's like there's no challenge because this is my perception. How do I argue that? Well, you, you've come to that conclusion because you don't believe in truth. And so any, whatever truth there out, out there that there is, is based on your perception. You know, so like you can't, that's the problem. It's, it's really, a, I mean, we always are up against our weak human nature and, you know, the flesh and so on. But our, our predominant thing from my perspective, at least in terms of how we think through living is it's about truth. If, if somebody thinks their truth is the only truth, they have to make the case for that. And if they, the minute they start making a case, they've done what I call shoplifting atheists. They become shoplifting. They're using tools they haven't paid for. You know, you're, you're going to use reason to, me, to tell me this, that, you know, that my perceptions are the, the actual truth. And you're going to contradict yourself by definition, right? Like we talked earlier. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the atheist. You're going to appeal to reason. Well, you're using tools you haven't paid for. Those you, you have to explain how you get through. Okay, I'll follow you on the reason path here. Explain to me how you could reason that through. Where did reason come from? And, and it kind of implodes on itself. The problem is, is that getting people even think along those lines I and mean, if you take them on on a moral sense or how they're living their life you know they'll give you the perceptual thing well this is my world you know that's what i believe i believe in transgender i believe in abortion that's a, okay so like so then now the only way to debate them is is with reason and logic so you're immediately into a truth game with that and it's like how do you play with it? And you can use pick, a, pick an issue, uh, pick abortion. Okay, so like, okay, so what do we know about human nature? How do you? How can you think that's wrong? What about human rights? Okay, so like, where do you get human rights? How do you, show me the logic of human rights. Forget the abortion right, just rights in general. Show me how you can get there and, and why those are there. I mean, are they inherent? If they're inherent, that means they're there by design or intention or purpose. If they're not inherent, then they're contrived. So you can have a right, but we can change right anytime we want because rights are contrived, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's just pushing them back to fundamental distinctions and the logic of that, right? Either things are inherent or they're constructed, right? Those are the choices. It's like either God is or God isn't. Somebody's right about that because there's only two choices and those are irreconcilable. That's right, it, it's over. So that's the logic for dealing, I think, with culture. The problem is, is that not enough people. We get bogged down sometimes in discussing a topic that's inflammatory for both sides, and and that doesn't lead anywhere. As opposed to ask questions to get underneath the thinking of your opposition, and then hoist them on their own petard. Because it usually right. takes three or four moves, and you're right back to that contradiction that you, they're shoplifting agents. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're using tools they haven't paid for. And now you're talking about reason, right? You're doing epistemology rather than the, the inflammatory topics you started with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you play so if you're just joining, if you're just joining us, you're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. We're talking with Frank Cronin on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, discussing his book, "The World According to God: The Whole Truth About Life and Living." Joe Resinello. We probably have about seven or eight minutes left, Frank and Joe. So go ahead, Joe. I'm going to hand it over to you. I want to address this to the Catholics um, because I, I think this is something that uh, I believe he's a servant of God. John Harden said, "I think about this often." He said, "We are." To know the truth, we're to live the truth, we're to speak the truth. We've talked about this on this, you know, show and in this discussion. But then he throws this one at you: we are to suffer for the truth. You see, you mentioned something that people know; they know. But you see, a lot of times we as Catholics we know what the Church teaches, but when the rubber meets the road, we're not willing to suffer for it. You see, Christ suffered for the truth. And the saints did that. We are put forth that same choice in our life. How do we handle our money? How do we run our family? How do we prioritize our life? Are we building heaven now as opposed to living for it later? All of which requires suffering. 
We don't want it. Talk about that choice because that is truth. Suffering for the truth. And we're not willing to do it as a culture. Well, I think in general that's true. And that's, you know, that's something that human nature has and always will struggle with. It's like, on the other hand, and this is where, you know, at least speaking personally, um, I'd rather have the right answer than, than win sometimes. And that's often what happens when you speak the truth, you pay dues. You're just going. Um, and you have to take the solace from the fact that I have spoken the truth. I do have the right answer here. I'm going to pay dues for that. But that it doesn't matter because I've already won. I held to the truth. And sometimes that's, at least for me, this is, you know, the world according to Frank here, but uh, that that's how I take solace in that. Because while you're going to suffer, I mean, that's just part of what truth is, especially in our modern world. You know, they can't take you and pillory you anymore in the public square, but you get pilloried in a different way. You get isolated, you get marginalized. There are career opportunities that don't come because of what you have. So I'll give you a, a for instance, my doctoral work at Columbia University, I had, I had, I was asked to write papers about what I wanted my dissertation to be about. And I wanted it to be about Christian or Catholic moral leadership. So I wanted to do this and I got A's all the way along the line. When it came down to getting my faculty member to work with, who was the dean of the department at the time, he wouldn't do it. And so it cost me $75,000. I'm all but dissertation because I wanted to write about Catholic Christian moral leadership. And because I did that, I'm out $70,000 and I'm ABD for the rest of my life. It's the way it is. You, you know what I mean? It's like I could have compromised and probably found something a little more secular in harmony with the left's view, but that wasn't me. I did, I'm not here to do that. This is what I'm here to do. And I wasn't able to do that. So that's a suffering that will never go away, right? I mean, with a PhD, with a full PhD, I could probably teach college. I mean, I've done some of that, but not as a tenured faculty member. I, you know, I could have maybe published that book as well. And God knows we need it nowadays for from the standpoint of how things are managed in general in the Catholic world. But that's not going to happen because of that kind of a thing. That's just I had the truth. I knew what I was going to do. I knew this was the right thing to do, and I wasn't willing to compromise. So you, you pay dues. That's just part of the package. And on so on so many levels, that's such a, that's such an injustice. And then what bothers me more than anything, we probably have time for one more question. What bothers me is that these same people are the ones that are always talking about being open-minded to all ideas. It's such a crock. It just is. way we get it out there to our audience. When somebody says, I'm open-minded, I'm tolerant. No, you're not. I'm Catholic. Are you tolerant of my ideas? You'll watch right. them shut down. That's right. just, that's <clears throat> that's a disgrace at, a, at an institution of higher learning with a reputation like Columbia. That's a disgrace for them to do something like that to you. Joe Restinello, we have about uh, two and a half minutes. What do you want to ask Frank before we go? Well, I mean, clearly uh, the culture, the woke culture that we're living in always puts forth the challenge to us. Um, and frankly, I think it, it could get even more aggressive as Catholics. I mean, how did we get to this point, Frank? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, especially in the last 10 years, things that we're seeing that I'm seeing, I can't even believe are taking place. Have, Frank, well, we how have about we get two there? minutes. How, we have about two minutes, Frank. Okay. Well, I think the deal on that one is, is when you get down to the fundamental big questions of life, first principles, it, you can see this coming, believe it or not, in 1300. It, once you understand this, William of Ockham to Martin Luther to, to Descartes to Rousseau, it's been coming for a long time. And as a person, I'm a little older than you guys. Uh, I've seen this and I, I, I've seen this coming since my study at Harvard. One of the things for me there was, you know, I, I had never encountered the word modernity until I went there. And I spent with my own little private course of study while I was there. And really that's what it is. We have been eroding truth since the 1300, the idea of truth. And so this is the full flowering. I think you got a, a, an initial really big episodic invasion in the 60s as a kid who was in high school at the time. 
that's that's where a lot of things we really shifted gears and it became more widespread not in intellectual circles but culturally and so i, I think what we're up against comes through in order to fix it we, we can debate the particular issues but it's really first principles and first principles means what is the truth and what is it is there isn't there a god so there's I think a real opportunity here to watch the wasted direction and depravity of flawed philosophy and then to get back to first principles. That's why I wrote the book. And and we are very grateful, Frank Cronin, that you wrote the book, The World According to God, The Whole Truth About Life and Living. Frank, where can our audience members buy your book? Well, Sophia Institute Press is the publisher, but it's available at a number of places online. But I would recommend you go to them. Yes, everybody out there, don't buy on Amazon. Buy on Sophia Institute <laughs> Press. Okay. So, Frank, Frank Cronin, thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate it, brother. Hopefully, we have you back soon. God bless you. Yeah, same to you, Joe. You too, thank Joe. You. Thank you, Frank. And we want to thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, the front line with Joe and Joe, 1350 on your AM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And as always, we would ask the Frontline TV on YouTube. If you could head over there when you're online, hit a like, a subscribe, a share, the Frontline TV on YouTube. We would really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll see you soon.